Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you. Anything to get it. Here's a question that I want you uh, thinking about this morning as, uh, as I begin our sermon. Have you ever wanted something so bad uh, that you'd do anything to get it? And, uh, and as you think about that question, I want to share the first thing uh, that came to my mind. What it was like to be a six-year-old boy and, uh, and have what you might call a Batman obsession. So the year is uh, 1992. Batman, the animated series, uh, has just debuted on television, and my world consists of basically two things. There's Batman, and there's everything else. And uh, at this point, I collected a few uh, Batman toys, but I was still missing the most important Batman toy of all, the Batmobile. And, uh, and to six-year-old Steve, this thing is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's, uh, it takes two, no, three AA batteries. It's got lights on the front and back. It, it shoots out a yellow coin-sized disc. And if you slide the top open, Batman can actually uh, fit inside. And all this brings me to, uh, to my one very significant problem. Now, the Batmobile costs almost $50. And uh, what you probably know is that when you are six years old, $50 feels like 50000 It is a number so large that it almost seems unattainable. So how? How am I going to get $50? That's the question uh, that I found myself asking. And it turns out that the and what I learned is that if you're willing to do all sorts of other things, eventually, you might have $50. And, uh, and for $50 for a Batmobile, uh, what I learned is that there is no chore I really wouldn't do. And so I ask you again, have you ever wanted something so bad that you'd do anything to get it? What I'm going to guess is, uh, is that most of us uh, can think of things like this. And, and when you take a step back, I'd imagine that some of those things might seem a little silly. Things like a Batmobile, or an iPhone, or a table saw. A few things that I would have to admit. Uh, but what I'd also imagine is that uh, you got some things that also seem pretty serious. Things like, uh, like trying your hardest in school. Uh, giving your all on the court or the track or the field, being a good parent, being a good grandparent, being a good spouse, a good neighbor, a good friend. And then things like, uh, like caring about your health, caring about your community, and, and caring about the kind of future that you're leaving behind uh, for your children and your grandchildren and, and the people who come after that. You see, I'd imagine that you got things like this. And because you're here this morning, I'd also imagine that somewhere on your list is your Lord and, uh, and the kind of relationship you have with him. 
That brings us uh, to the moment uh, that you got here uh, this morning. And at some point, you sat down and, and you listened to these two little parables, the two shortest parables that Jesus tells. Each of them are one verse long, and, and they tell the same message, and so we tend to lump them uh, together. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure that was hidden in a field. A treasure that, uh, that someone else finds, and because it's so valuable, the person who finds it goes and sells everything he has. He sells everything he has, and what Jesus tells us is that when he sells it, he sells it with joy. And that's because he knows what he's getting. He knows that the field is valuable. He knows that it's worth it. You see, Jesus, he wants to drive this point home, and so he goes on to tell another parable, another story with the exact same message. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is also like a merchant, a merchant who is looking for fine pearls. This makes me think about uh, the person who is out looking for a collectible at an estate sale or, or a flea market. You see, this person eventually finds what he's looking for, except there's just one problem. The collectible is expensive. And it's so expensive that just like the person in the previous parable, uh, this merchant goes on to sell everything he has. And, and yet he does it because he knows what he's getting. He knows that the pearl is valuable. He knows that it's worth it. And so you get here this morning. You sit down to worship. And then you hear these two little parables. And if you're anything like me, uh, it's almost impossible to hear them and to not think about your Lord and the kind of relationship that you have with him. It's almost impossible because what you've found in him is so incredibly valuable. So valuable that you've given up uh, part of your Sunday morning to be here, to nurture that relationship. And, and as you think about your life, maybe that explains some of the other things that you've done. Maybe it explains the job you have the place you live, the way you relate to things like time and money, the way you interact with your neighbors. And sure, someone might ask, you know, haven't you give up a lot? But when the thing you've found is valuable, there isn't anything unusual about it. And so you get here this morning, you sit down to worship, and you hear these two parables, and maybe, just maybe, maybe, you begin to think about that, your Lord, your relationship with him, and the fact that there is nothing that you wouldn't do because you love him. And that's the case for you. I want to say two things this morning. First, I want to say that is really special. That's really special because that's what Jesus wants for all of us. He wants for all of us to be willing to give up anything to follow him. You know, quite honestly, that's what the power of uh, the gospel, uh, what the good news has the power to produce, uh, that when you encounter the good news of Jesus, it transforms your life. And all of a sudden, things that once seemed crazy, all of a sudden begin to seem normal. And so that's the case. Uh, the first thing I want to say this morning is that is really special. But the second thing is this, uh, this experience, this willingness to give up everything we have to follow Jesus, this good thing and this true thing is not the reason that Jesus tells this parable. Uh, now, when it comes to parables, 
especially the parables uh, that we hear in uh, this chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Jeff Gibbs, a, a former professor of theology uh, at Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis, and uh, and a scholar who's devoted uh, most of his life to studying Matthew's gospel, Jeff Gibbs says uh, that there are two ways to lose our bearings. We're reading parables. There are two ways to lose our bearings. The first way, uh, he says, is that we can misidentify the subject. Uh, We can misidentify who the parable uh, is all about. And when it comes to parables, sometimes we're the subject. Sometimes we're the the main character in the parable. And if you're looking for a parable like this, uh, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders is a great example. You know, the the parable where the wise man builds his house on a rock, but the the foolish man builds his house on, uh, on the sand. And in parables like these, we're supposed to imagine ourselves as the main character in the parable. And in the case of this particular parable, we're supposed to ask ourselves, you know, Which kind of builder are we? Uh, But the parables in Matthew chapter 13, they're a little bit different. You see, unlike the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, we're not the subject. God is. And that's because uh, these parables, uh, or this sermon, as I've liked to call it uh, the past few weeks, uh, it's about God's kingdom and what it looks like for God to rule and reign. And, uh, and for just a moment, I want to show you exactly what I'm talking about. And so I'm going to ask you to do something uh, that's a little unusual. I'm going to ask you to, uh, to pull out the Bible uh, that's in the pew rack in front of you. I want you to pull it out. Uh, I know there's just a few of them. You might have to share with someone. And so uh, if that's the case, I'd encourage you to find a friend uh, or a neighbor. And when you do that, I want you to open up to Matthew 13. Uh, It's page 690 in those Bibles, if you're looking for it. Uh, So it's Matthew 13, uh, page 690. And and what I want to do is uh, I want to show you uh, how these parables are about what God is doing. And so we're going to look at the the titles of those parables, and then we're going to ask the question, who's the subject? So Matthew 13 Uh, page 690. We'll start with Matthew 13, verse 1. This is the parable of the sower. We heard this parable two weeks ago. Uh, The sower in this parable sows his seeds on all kinds of subject, on all kinds of soil. And so as you read it, you might ask, who's the subject? Who's the sower? God is. And and when you read this parable, what you discover is that God will waste all kinds of seed. He'll sow it recklessly if it means that you can be a part of his kingdom. And if you look down, uh, let's look at the next one. Matthew 13, uh, verse 24. This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. It might be listed as the parable of the weeds, uh, but it's the wheat and the weeds. And this is the parable uh, where the owner of a field tells people to let the wheat and the weeds grow together. And as you read this parable, you ask yourself the question, who's the owner? Who's the subject? The answer is, uh, God is. I mean, he's the one who lets the wheat and the weeds grow together. And the reason why is that there is no room for collateral damage in God's kingdom. Not right now. And so God's going to wait 
until the very end of the age to sort things out. You see, we could ask this question about all the parables uh, in this chapter. There's, there's a bunch of them. We could ask the question, who's the subject? And every single time, the answer to that question is God. God's the subject. He's the one who's ruling and reigning. And he's ruling and reigning in Jesus. And right now, it might seem insignificant, like a tiny little mustard seed. Or, or a little bit of yeast in what uh, ends up being about 10 gallons of dough. Uh, but the promise that we receive in these parables is that one day, everyone's going to notice. Well, mustard seed's going to grow big. It's going to be all sorts of bread. And that brings us uh, to the two parables uh, that we've been looking at today. And, and as I've said, it's almost impossible to hear these parables and not think about our Lord and our relationship with him. Uh, but just like all the other parables in this chapter, we're not the subject. And so even though we may be willing uh, to give all sorts of things, uh, give up all sorts of things to follow God, because, you know, his kingdom, it is valuable. And I imagine that, that many of us know that and many of us recognize that. But just because it's true doesn't mean that that's what this parable is all about. God is the subject. Now, I said that there are uh, two ways uh, to lose our bearings when we read parables. Uh, the first way is to misidentify the subject. Uh, the second way is to assume that what's happening in the parable is normal or expected, that, that reality tends to work the kind of way that it does in the parable. But what we learn is that there is nothing normal and nothing expected about God's kingdom. Instead, what we learn today, God's kingdom, it's sort of like a man who does not know what he's doing. A man who's lost his bearings when it comes to things like personal finance. And what we learn is that what he's done, he's done for joy. I mean, he's found this thing and he knows that it's valuable. And that, that is why he acts foolishly. That's why he sells everything he has, every last thing. He gives it all away. And he uses it to buy the field, to get the pearl. I mean, nobody, nobody does this except for Jesus. See, you're not the subject of this parable. Jesus is. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is that you are the treasure hidden in the field. You are the pearl. And you know, when you hear that, uh, maybe you think to yourself, me? A treasure? A pearl? I don't deserve that. You see, if that's what you think, you'd actually be right. You don't deserve it. And neither do I. And what we learn is that that's why it's called grace. And as the hymn we just sung says, that's why it's amazing. You see, the good news is that, uh, that when Jesus looks at you, despite all of your brokenness, despite all of your flaws, despite all of your sin, what he sees is treasure. What he sees is the finest pearl. And nothing about this makes sense. Reality doesn't work this way. 
and yet he's still willing to give everything he has. He's willing to die for you. And that's what Jesus does. And once again, that's why it's called grace. That's why it's amazing. And so uh, the reason that Jesus tells this parable is, is not to call you out. And it's not to, to get you to give up things for him. Although I will confess uh, that at times it might have that effect. <laughs> Instead, the reason that Jesus tells this parable is because he loves you. And he wants you to know. And uh, in his kingdom, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but at the end of the day, we wouldn't want Jesus' kingdom to make sense because we know what we deserve and we know what he's done. And so Jesus tells this parable to encourage us because even though his kingdom doesn't make sense, this is what it's like. It's like grace and it's amazing. And yet sometimes uh, it seems small. Sometimes it seems insignificant, and so sometimes we need encouragement. And the hope we have is that one day we will see this kingdom in its fullness. But until that day comes, uh, he tells us things like this. Things like, your treasure, you're the finest pearl, you're worth everything to me. And because he's risen, because he's reigning, we know that one day... He's going to put all things right. And when we do, when he does, he'll be glorious. But right now, what he does simply enables us to live and to serve and to love, just like he did as we follow him. So may God grant you some encouragement this day. In the name of Jesus, amen.